Hey, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome, and especially if you are uh, new, if you've not been here for a long time, or uh, if you're online and new watching, we welcome you. This is going to be a great morning. We have had the ability, and uh, we went all through the fall, and we prayed, and, and God worked it out that uh, James and Sarah were able to come on staff here and join us as part of the staff in Norfolk. We should give them a hand on that. Isn't that exciting? Yes. And... Uh, and so the adventure begins, and we've not had the chance to do a family meal, which is where we would just have all the tables out, right, and we'd be sitting, and, and they could share their story. So this is the next best thing that we can do. So they're going to come up this morning and walk us through not just their uh, ministry and where they grew up and stuff, but also how God led them here. So would you give them a great big Norfolk welcome? James and Sarah, come on up. Without a mask on now. <laughs> I know, this is what we look like, uh, <laughs> our real faces. <laughs> so oh, it is such a joy to be here with you, and we are just so excited um, to be here. You know, uh, many of you know it was a long journey to get us here, at least it felt like it to us, and we had a few bumps along the way, um, including getting COVID like two days after we got here. So two months later, we are just still so excited and so grateful to be with you. And um, we want to just keep thanking you for your welcome. We have felt just beyond loved and we have so enjoyed getting to know you. It's so fun. Usually we are here every two years and we come to church for a couple Sundays and then we like have once off little conversations or meals with some of you. And now it's so fun. We get to see you like multiple times, <laughs> you know, because we live here now. So it's really fun. So Today we are going to be sharing um, the top five questions that we've been asked. There are many more that we could answer and that have been asked, um, but we need to save something for those face-to-face -face or Zoom meetings um, when, we get to when we get to meet you guys one-on-one. -on -one. So the first question that we often get asked is, um, where are you from? So um, I'll go first. I'm a Midwest girl. Anyone else from the Midwest? Yeah. And so <laughs> I'm from northern Indiana, so maybe not Midwest, Midwest, what some people say, but northern Indiana, South Bend area, home of Notre Dame, um, our one claim to fame. And um, I grew up in the church in a Christian home, but we just, like, we just went to church. That's just what you did. It didn't, like, mean anything to me until middle school when we switched churches and joined a youth group and I actually saw people who like loved Jesus outside of just Sunday like they lived it and they had a relationship with him and I was like I want that I don't want just church I want that relationship and so I committed my life to Christ at 13 and started on this journey of following him that still carries on today amen so good to see you guys again um, I'm from here this is home for me well not Northview Church but uh, in this building, wasn't born here, but uh, raised up just the other side of the freeway off of 164th. Uh, my mom, who's just over here, my father, that's where we've been my, uh, my, my whole life in that area. Uh, went to school in the Muckleteal School District, spent some time at King's uh, Junior High and High School over in Shoreline, and, and then Mariner as well. Uh, church for us was uh, always in Kirkland and Bothell, and so this, this region is home for us. Also grew up in a very strong Christian home. My father became a pastor when he was 18 years old. Um, and a uh, pastor for a number of years uh, before we're stepping out back into business. But this is definitely home from us just down the street, so it's great to be home again. All right, and the second question we often get asked is, how did you get into missions? 
Um, and so for me, in high school, I did a several mission trips with my youth group. Youth groups are the best. <laughs> and um, so we went to Mexico, we went to Chicago, a few other cities. And through all these different um, trips and experiences, God was really just bursting my little bubble of who I thought he was and what I thought the world was and just giving me a deeper love for him and for people. And um, in my senior year, I was going to go to college because that's what you were supposed to do. You're supposed to go to college after you graduate, so I thought. But unlike many of my friends, I didn't really know for sure what I wanted to do. I didn't have this excitement to study or just work. I felt like there's something else, but I didn't know what it was because I didn't actually know that you could be a missionary. <laughs> like I didn't know that that was like a job you could do. And, and so I went to community college for one semester, took the second semester off to go to um, a discipleship training school in Nashville with YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And I never went back. <laughs> um, as soon as I got there, I felt instantly at home. And I just knew, like, this was that something else that I had been looking for and searching for. And through the different um, lectures and the outreach, I just saw God move in ways that I never even knew he could. And I was hooked. And I just knew that this was for me. So 19 years later, I'm out of YOM and out of Youth of the Mission, but still very much in love with Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I went to, uh, or when I was in high school, my dream of, of the future was to be a hedge fund manager. Uh, so a little different career choice. Uh, but my senior year of high school, my dad had, was planning on helping me with college, a great school, and then the business went bankrupt, and so, so did those ideas. Uh, and I was working at the time at Christian Supply over in the Alderwood Mall. Some of you guys may remember that wonderful store. And I was shilling out WWJD bracelets by the fistfuls and listening to rocking out the stripers to hell with the devil. And uh, some, of you, some of you know it. It's good stuff. And, and it was while working there, uh, I, I had a customer come in uh, back in the day. And they told me about this thing called Youth with a Mission, YWAM. And I'd never heard about it. Missions to me at the time was... It was for old school people. We had dear friends of ours, amazing people working with Missionary Aviation Fellowship. And, and my idea with missions was the stories they told where they fly into the bush, 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 bush of South America and Brazil. And, and, and they you know, come back and my idea of missions is you come back and you see the slideshows, old day, like click. Here's a picture of us with the tribal chief. Click. Here's a picture of us in front of a tree. Click. <laughs> Right, like that's that was my idea of missions. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. And so when I had this young person here telling me about like they got to travel the world and see people and tell people about Jesus and they saw people healed and, and God's amazing, I'm like, I know nothing about this world. Like I'm curious. And the more I looked into it, I found out I could like go study about Jesus and that other people would help me pay for it, and then I could tell people about Jesus and travel. I'm like, sign me up. And so I took a, a gap year just six months to go to Australia, and, and I thought I could learn to surf at the beach there, and never learned to surf, but really fell in love with Jesus. Uh, and, but the thing that just radically changed my life, though, was uh, the second three-month phase, we went to Nepal. And my goodness, that time was incredible. God moved. It was the, the book of Acts come alive in the modern day. I didn't know God still worked like that, but it was incredible. We saw, I mean, the, the, the deafs appear. We saw the mute speak. We saw the blind see. We saw the lame walk. We saw witch doctors, just demons flying all over the place. It was, it was amazing just seeing the book of Acts just opened up in real time for us as God was moving like crazy. But that's not actually what did it. It was while there, I, I'll never forget this one Nepali guy I was speaking to. And, uh, we, and so many people accepted Christ. It was incredible. But there was specifically this one old dude that I was chatting with. And with my translator, and he was a hardened guy. 
He, he, he was, you can just see, I mean, his whole countenance was, was there was just fear and a heaviness and an oppression deeply rooted in Hinduism and so many other things. It was just this callousness about him. And as I started talking with him about Jesus, uh, his face just started lightening up. And the longer we went, the more his countenance just opened. And the more, like, it, it was just, it was, it, the longer we went, the more miraculous this transformation started to happen as he began accepting Christ. And it was like scales falling off of him. And it was his entire, it was miraculous. I wish I could describe it in some way that makes sense. But everything about this man began to change. And he accepted Christ. And there, the eyes went from dark to light. I mean, his whole body went from hard to soft. And he was experiencing the freedom of Christ coming upon him in a moment. I watched it happen. And I remember sitting watching this guy and watching what Jesus was doing in his life as he accepted Christ. And he was rejoicing and jumping around. And me just going, I don't think I can ever go back to that old life again. <laughs> like, I, as God often said, I am messed up for the ordinary. The things that used to satisfy me are no longer going to satisfy. I want to do this for the rest of my life. And I made that commitment, like, this is what I'm doing. I want to see people fall in love with Jesus and be, just experience the freedom that only comes from knowing Jesus. This is my life plan now. And, and that's what I've been doing ever since. That was, what, 17 years ago? For, no, I was 17, so 20, I'm not 34. Uh, seven, that was seven, when I was 17, so 24 years ago. And uh, that's what I've been doing ever since. And so after that, I joined a church planning team that was going to central China, worked in there for a number of years, uh, then switched to Beijing to work in businesses missions, helping to set up factories that were used as platforms for missions. After that, moved back to the States to pursue my business degree at the UW and uh, eventually to Bible school here, where, which kind of how I ended up connecting with Sarah because that's where I ended up joining a ministry for a number of years where I took Bible school graduates and, and we went all across Africa and Asia training people in remote areas and pastors about how to study the word and, 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 and know who God is. So. so the third question we often get asked is how did you meet each other, being from different states? working in different places. And so our first meeting was actually back in 2005 in Uganda, of all places. And myself and a girlfriend, we were, had planned to help move a family to northern Uganda, but they ended up not being able to go because of safety and security reasons and various stuff. But we decided, let's just still go because that's what you do when you're in your early 20s. <laughs> and um, so we had, all, both of us had both had East Africa on our hearts and we thought, let's just make a whole trip of it and see like maybe we will move there someday, you know? And so myself and her, two blonde haired, like super pale white girls in their early 20s, jet off by ourselves knowing not a soul and uh, went to Egypt, Kenya, and most of the time in Uganda and Sudan. My parents' prayer life was like, really? <laughs> I helped them grow in their faith in the Lord. So, um, <laughs> because during that time in northern Uganda, southern Sudan, Joseph Kony and the Lord's Resistance Army, which is why this family couldn't move, um, were in full force. And they were not kind souls. And so we didn't even know, like, were we going to get stuck there? Could we even travel? If we went to Sudan, could we get back? All of that. Um, but God protected us. And for me, it was a really pivotal trip in, like, setting the course of my future. Um, as those kind of experiences sometimes are. And so while we were there in the bush of Uganda, we stayed with a team of traveling Bible teachers, um, <laughs> including this guy. And so one of the girls who was on the team, who is now a dear friend, had told me about a Bible school in South Africa. And I knew that I was going to be in missions a while, and I knew that my foundation really needed, like, strengthened, and I needed to know the word. And so... 
I was like, okay, like studying the Bible in South Africa sounds awesome. So that's how I ended up there. Um, but also on that team was this really loud and passionate and a little bit intense and intimidating American guy. Um, and we crossed paths only for a few days, but first impressions honestly were like, not, there was <laughs> they were not that good. I was like, ah, oh, he's too much. So <laughs> it, it was like just enough to like leave a little bit of a lasting impression. Um, but two years go by, and I have now finished my Bible school in South Africa, and I'm getting ready to go on a teaching trip, training pastors on the continent, um, just like that team I had met in Uganda. And so we were presented with all these different options, and there was four different options of where to go. And one of them happened to be Zambia, led by the same American guy that I'd met, who I remembered enough um, in my mind. And so I knew that I was, like, not going to go on that team. So... It, <laughs> at all. First, because I really wanted to get back to East Africa, and there were some teams going there, and I was like, obviously, God's going to grab me all the desires of my heart, right? And number two, I just, I didn't, I don't know, I didn't want him to be my leader. There was enough of that. For good reason. Yeah. So, anyways, anytime I actually went to God and prayed, he kept saying Zambia. Like, I just felt like I knew in my heart and my mind, it was like so clear. And I kept going back over the course of a week because I was for sure that he was wrong. Um, and I kept wanting to check, and sometimes I'd wait a couple days because I thought, I don't really want to hear him say this again. But eventually I ended up listening and ended up joining the Zambia team. And when James came to South Africa, I found out that he wasn't actually horrible. And <laughs> that first impressions are often wrong. And so he was still very passionate, um, but his love for Jesus was so evident. He was passionate about teaching the word and seeing people know Jesus through the word. And um, we actually got along very well and had a lot of really good conversation. And I actually, you know, started to like him like a little bit, more than a little. Um, but at that point, I was committed to for several years in South Africa. I was going to come back and work with the Bible school there. He was going to go to China for several years. So that is like... There's like long distance and then there's long distance. And so I just was like, well, that's like done with. Any feelings, shove them down. Just enjoy being on the same team together for a few months. <laughs> there's a reason she wasn't attracted to me. Um, I was a pretty blind guy at that point as a 28-year-old single and had some pretty unhealthy understandings of, of God's kingdom at the time. And I was just soul-minded, just committed to central China, believed that uh, that's where I was supposed to be. And, and I had a vision of setting up uh, underground Bible schools all across central China, and that's kind of where my focus was. Um, and I was also pretty naive at the time, based upon my experiences. I, I really believed, uh, now I can laugh about it, that I had the, you know, Paul's call towards celibacy and also Paul's call, to call towards martyrdom. Uh, it was kind of a weird season of life where I had just been on the field so long, and I was just like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what my focus is. And I'll never forget that first week in Zambia. We were on a bus, and Sarah's against, my, on, against the window. I'm in the middle, and a couple of Zambian guys on my left. And the dude next to me, he leans over. I, I don't know him. And he says, man, that girl next to you, is she your girlfriend? She is so beautiful. And, and, and again, this shows you just how dumb I was. I, I, I remember looking over at her, and it's like all of a sudden the blinders fell off. I'm like, oh, my goodness, she's so beautiful. And like I just, I just hadn't allowed myself to see it that way because I was just single-minded focused. God's kingdom, and this is what we got to do. And, and so it, in that moment, it was just like, whoa, you're right. And that kind of messed me up. And then that next week, we did our first week of teaching in the pastors, and I saw her teach. 
and I was hooked, man. Like the, the passion, the boldness, the strength. I was just like, this woman is incredible. And that messed with me because all my theology started coming up. You see, because up to that point, I had a, as I said, I had kind of a really twisted theology of this real soldier mentality that I just had to obey God. And, and up to that point, because specifically I had spent so much time in China and amongst persecuted Christians and persecuted nations, I had adopted a twisted theological understanding of a, of a kind of a suffering and poverty mentality of, of, the, of the kingdom. And so what I, what I genuinely believe, I would never teach this. I would only teach grace and that grace is enough and, all the, and it's all about faith and grace. But in my heart of hearts, what I actually believed was what a lot of my Chinese brothers believed was that the more we suffer, the more hardship we endure, the more favor we have with God. And although I would never say that out loud, it was absolutely evident in my life. And in fact, just a few months prior to that meeting up with Sarah, I was home with my mom and dad, and I did one of the most horrific things any son could ever do. And that is I sat my mom, and I'm, I'm sorry uh, to re recall this horror, mom. Um, but uh, I, I sat them down at the dinner table and I said, mom, I'm going into more and more extreme places, more and more places, I don't know if I'm gonna see you again. And in fact, I don't think I'm gonna live much longer. Uh, and so, and this is the really horrific part. I said, when I die, not if, when I die, I don't want you mourning at my funeral. I want it to be a celebration time. Please never do that to your parents. I'm sorry again. Um, that, was, that was messed up, right? You, you don't do that to parents. And, and anyways, it, and it was just a couple weeks before I met her that I was meeting with my mentor, this guy that I looked up to so much. He was a missions leader amongst all of Asia and spent years in China. And I, I, I just, I loved him so much. And I was going to him seeking affirmation, telling him about all my recent trips and all the teaching I've been doing and, and looking for affirmation. And this guy who I wanted to emulate just looks at me and he says, James, do you want to be in missions for 50 years or five? Because you're heading for a quick end, my brother. And that's where I left. And so meeting Sarah, I was just kind of in a, in a messy place. of so just like, God, what are you doing? And then meeting her, I just realized, well, Africa's cool too. <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess God didn't actually ever said China. That was my understanding of God's word because that was the most extreme place. And I love Africa, so let's move to Africa. And the time was then. We, our team had to split. We had to send some people to the north of the country and some to the south. And I thought, you know what? Go big or go home. I convinced the team why the rest of the team needs to go south 18 hours and why we, the two of us, needed to go north and minister. And I had a couple of weeks to get to know her, and, and God just blessed that time. And to make a long story short, in a couple of weeks, we were talking marriage. And we had our first date in the most beautiful place location on the planet at Victoria Falls. We were hanging out at, uh, at, uh, uh, at Victoria Falls, sitting in a hammock, and we got you know, giraffes and zebras wandering around us. We got monkeys dancing in the trees and talking, elephants crossing the Zambezi River right next to us, and the giant Victoria Falls crashing in the distance. And, so, uh, and then we capped it off with a tandem bungee jump, like epic first date. It's only gone downhill since then. But... Um, <laughs> Great first date makes everything else kind of lame, but uh, it was a great start. Yeah, so, um, yeah, as you said, by the end of the trip, we knew that we were going to be getting married. I think our parents were a little bit nervous about that because we hadn't actually met each other's parents yet. Um, but through seeking a counsel from various mentors and family, we decided, like, let's just do it. Let's just get married sooner than later. So we returned to the States, had some time with our families, like a few months with each of our families, um, to get to know each other, and it was during that time, 2008, that we actually first met Steve. And we met him through John Burkholder, who many of you might know, and we didn't have a home church here in Washington, and John was like, 
I got you. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna find you people. You know, John, you understand. And you just know, like he's gonna get it done. If anyone's gonna get it done, it's John. And so I'm pretty sure he told Steve, like you take them or else. Like he didn't. I don't think he gave you much of an option. <laughs> but Steve graciously met with us and took us in, and and he said, like, okay, we're your people. Like don't shop around for more churches. Like we're your home and we're your family. And so. From 13 years ago or so, that was like when we first got associated with Northview, and this place became our home, and it felt like that instantly. So, um, yeah, we got married. Six weeks later, we moved to South Africa and um, started life there, working with and leading a Bible school for a few years. And we're going to skip over a lot of our ministry years because we've shared a lot of that, and we still need something to talk about in the next years to come. So, Amen. <laughs> so the next question was, how did God reveal your time in missions in South Africa was coming to an end? Yes, so this is a little bit of a longer answer because it's not like he just wrote on the wall and then we listened and went, you know, it was a long, a long, long process because we love South Africa. We loved our ministry there. And um, yeah, so we didn't, we, we sold our house. We like sold all our belongings and we don't have that job as missionaries anymore where we get like paid to do it. Um, but we still don't necessarily see that we've like left our job as missionaries. Um, so James will share a bit more about this too, but we still see ourselves like God has sent us. Jesus has sent us. And he says in John 20, 21, as the father sent me, so I also send you. And we still feel like our call from Jesus is still to share him with others. And that like still stands. Um, and Oswald Chambers, um, he says it like this, that a missionary is someone sent by Jesus Christ just as he was sent by God. And the great controlling factor is not the needs of people, but the commands of Jesus. And God has said, like, go, make disciples. And we are still called to do that. We still very much feel like, even though our location has changed, um, that that is still very much our call to know God, to make him known. What we've been doing the last 20 years, like, that's still what we want to do here. Um, we just get to do it with you guys here in Mill Creek and the surrounds. So, um, but to move towards answering the question a little bit, uh, we knew that like South Africa, we weren't like we're gonna live and die there forever. Like we just knew, we thought we'd be in missions like for a long time, but we also knew that we wanted to spend some time in the States with our kids to get to know their own country and culture. They're still super confused. Every time we move states, they're like, which country are we in now? <laughs> so, because that's all they think, they think in countries. So we are getting them acclimated. <laughs> um, but we knew that we wanted them to stay here, be, have time with grandparents, because um, we really miss that intergenerational um, relationship. So we knew someday, like maybe like when they're in middle school, we'll come back and have some time in the States. So it's always something on our heart to be here. We just didn't know when. Yeah, our process, it's been building for some time. And it was eight years ago, when just after JG was born, where we had this, and we realized something's got to shift eventually. When I first chatted with Steve about this, and we were just standing out in the parking lot out here with him and just talking about the fact that, you know, someday we feel we might come back to America and pastor here, and what do you think that would look like? And that's the first time that Steve said, well, you know, some point down in the future, I need to retire. Uh, and so he started saying, like, is this something you might be interested in? And, and that was the beginning of a discussion. I'm like, I, I don't know, maybe. And, and every two years, you know, Stevie says, perk it. Like, just uh, let's, let's start that discussion. Every two years, we would just pick up that discussion and, and kind of keep it as a rolling conversation. One of your favorite words, a rolling conversation that we would just keep going over every two years and, and, and began that process. And then about 10 years ago is where the real shift happened in ministry for us, at least for me, uh, where I... I did my master's degree in spiritual formation, and I could, it just radically changed my life. 
As I mentioned before, that, that, that soldier mentality that I was dealing with, while serves you great on the mission field, doesn't work great towards intimacy with God. Um, and, and so the Lord just grabbed my heart and wrenched, wrenched me back towards him. It was an incredible process where I began just, more than anything else, just began to experience just the love of the Lord and relationship with him and intimacy with him, enjoying just spending time with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and, and dwelling at his feet. And, and, and that was the one major. The other area that probably even had just as large, if not larger, of an impact was emotional healing that came with it. Uh, I, I bought into that lie as a young man that emotions is a sign of weakness, right? That, that, that men should not be emotional. And that really controlled me for a long time. And as part of my, my master's degree, they also made us go see counselors, which is one of the greatest gifts that I was given. And in that process, God brought incredible healing from some trauma when I was a kid of some abuse from, from a dear friend uh, that happened to me that I, had been affecting my entire life up to that point that I was in denial about. And I got healing in that area and got healing in so many other areas and began to see that God had called us to be emotional beings and holistic in health and, and mental health and emotional health and physical health and all the rest of it. And that just shaped everything I did from that moment. At the time, majority of my ministry or my energy was going into a ministry where I was focusing on, on working with uh, some of the most broken in society, the gangsters and, and, and drug addicts and prostitutes and, and others from really, really broken areas. And it had been incredibly fruitful, but it was more just kind of as intense ministry. And through that time, God just shifted my focus towards primarily pastoral care. What does it mean to not just see people come to Christ, but what does it mean, this sounds like a simple revelation, but for me it was massive, what does it mean to see people genuinely grow in Christ? What does it mean to see them cared for, not just their salvation of where they end up when they die, but their quality of life here, that they would be fruitful and they would, be, they would flourish even here? And what does that mean for gangsters and, 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 and drug addicts and murderers? and the rest of it. And, and so that led me into a new ministry where the father had me um, pioneer a program with a dear buddy of mine, a Bible school, a, a two-year Bible program where we went through every book of the Bible, but specifically with an emphasis on holistic health. And, and, and mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, of the spiritual disciplines of engaging people in ways that after the two years, we could release them and not just have a head filled with knowledge, but a life that was radically transformed. And, and that was the most fruitful ministry in all my years on the field that I've ever been involved with, far and away, nothing compared to it. People going deep into the word, but that was sweet, but what was so much more amazing than going deep into the word was seeing people as a result of the increasing depth of their relationship with God, the way that they were aligning their lives to look more like Jesus. And then as a result of that, the fruit of that was that they were loving others with that same kind of love. And our community became known as people that were just engaging with the world around with a deep love. And, and it was amazing. It was so good. But my wife and I began talking. My heart began to get weary after a number of years doing this and running a few of these programs. And I recognized that my heart, this, this short-term nature of what we were doing, of constant turnover, my heart was just weary and it was hurting. And I realized I can't keep doing this. Like my dream, and we talked about all the time, was, man, I long if we could go back home someday and we could pastor a community where we get to walk with people year after year after year through trials and tribulations, through celebrations and joy, and, and see their kids raised up in the faith, and maybe even their kids. And that became the thing that we're just like, God, may it be someday that we don't have to say goodbye every two years to people and the next generation, but see a community that we can keep doing what we're doing, but doing it a community where we're stuck for a long time. And, and that became the dream, and that's what we started moving towards. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think um, in this time we've been talking about it and dreaming about it, and there was already a lot of transition happening in our community. Like literally 
all of our closest friends were moving away in the span of like six to eight months. All of our children's friends were moving away. Like no matter if we stayed in South Africa, transition was happening. And so it really, with that, with the switch of so many people moving and transitioning, we just thought like it kind of opened our minds to be like, okay, like maybe this is coming sooner than later um, and a move would come sooner than later. And just some of the grace to live there with we had, it's not like a super safe country <laughs> and there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of riots that were happening and a lot of that grace was just like lifting. The things that didn't used to bother me and us were just, they started to bother us, you know? And so um, as much as we loved the South Africa, we love what we were doing, we just felt like, okay, I think this is, it's getting to be closer to time. And we didn't know the timing, was it a year or three years from now, but we knew it was on the horizon. And then we had our Macedonian call. Uh, you know, that, that story in Acts chapter 16 where Paul's like bouncing around on a second missionary journey and he doesn't really know where he's going. He tries this and God says, don't go there. And he tries this and God says, not to Bithynia, not to Asia Minor. And he, he's stuck in Troas at the end, just going like, what the heck, God, what are you doing? And this guy from Macedonia comes in this vision and says, come and help us over here. Well, we, we were there, we had just, we knew that God was doing something, and one of our supporting churches uh, in Monroe, they sent a couple of their elders and mission uh, board members, came and visited us as a pastoral visit, and, and while they were there, we were able to kind of show them what God was doing, and throughout, he's, God's doing some sweet stuff in Cape Town, it's amazing what God's doing through the ministry, uh, Pam and Mitch, is, uh, uh, <laughs> Pam and Steve spent some time with us uh, down there. It's awesome. It's some pretty sweet stuff. They got to meet my buddy Charlie and my buddy Gordon, guys who have just been violent offenders for their whole lives and now radically following the Lord and doing sweet stuff. And I've shared about them before. I mean, they got to see so much new building. And so on the last day, I was expecting them to just go like, wow, well done. This is awesome. And on that final day, they, all three of them came forward and they said, you know, all of us were praying individually last night. And we all felt we're supposed to say the same thing. And that is, we feel God saying that you guys need to move home and pastor in America. And we're like, what? <laughs> I mean, I just started bawling. Like, like what? <laughs> like, where are you getting this from? They said, and not only that, we want to hire you because our pastor is transitioning and we're going to form a team or something. And so come join us. And we were just amazed because the only person in the world that knew was Steve because I had called him up and said, hey, Steve, remember that conversation that we've been ongoing about someday? Like, how is retirement coming? Because <laughs> we, we're wondering where things, and Steve's response is, well, it, it is coming someday, but we were just starting this whole Move the Mountain campaign. We're going to get started here soon. We got this huge loan. There's nothing we can do for the next few years. And I'm like, all right, Lord, I, I, I guess we just put one foot in front of the other, but we, we knew that the ball had been moved and, and we, were, we were heading back, so. Yeah, so the final question is, how and why did God call you to Northview? And um, it didn't start out that we were going to come here <laughs> when we originally were planning to move back to the States. We, uh, James had started applying for jobs online, and we were just like, let's just see what happens. Like, is he Mark? Do people, like, want to hire him and us? And so they did. Funny how he got into, like, the top of, like, all these places we had places around around the country that um, we were looking, you know, at different job opportunities. Um, and it was really confirmation, like, okay, we're going in the right direction. And we thought, you know, still hadn't we're talking about Northview, but we had a lot of these other options. And when we had to come back early to the States, um, end of March, we still, all these options were on the table. But, you know, then COVID happened. And a lot of, <laughs> most churches stopped hiring. Uh, and everyone was shut down. And so by June, we had zero zero options like we were basically homeless jobless like 
starting from scratch all over again. And um, it, we were like, okay, let's just do this. <laughs> let's start over. And so we had started applying for other jobs, and we actually had one possible opportunity in Indiana, like right in my hometown, but just it didn't fully sit well. Um, and it was soon after that um, that we got the call from Steve. <laughs> Um, and, and the reality is because Northview has always been home for us. As I was, or as we were processing through this, like wh where we dreamed of pastoring w was here. This is where we wanted to be. This has always been home. It's the community we feel most alive in. It's the community that is the most supportive of us. And so this is where we wanted to be, and it just bummed me out when it wasn't possible. Um, but as it started becoming a more of a reality, we just celebrated so much. Steve and I, over the years, have formed a great friendship. Uh, and he's invested in my life a lot and, and always counseled me, and we spent time in South Africa together. And, and just Steve's incredible relational heart, and I think one of the things I, I respect most is the way that Steve fights to remain in the tension of the center and, and not falling in the ditch to the left or the right, whether it be uh, theologically or politically, and he, he takes a lot of, of flack that he has to, to wrestle with to stay in that place and to manage that, and this church represents that culture that God has given us sweetness and really a depth of discipleship that's here of, of people that have just gone so deep. There's so much health in this community, and, and we, we dreamed of being here. This, this is the place we wanted to be and, and to be part of this deep well that, that God has been, and been fostering here, so we were, were so stoked to be able to finally come here and be part of this community. And upon arriving just, whatever, six weeks ago, I mean, the welcome has been ridiculous. And everything we thought about it has been absolutely affirmed, and I've loved every day of working here since then. But what we're most excited about in, in, in being here in this time is what God wants to do through in and through this community. We are just so excited for what God has in store next in this. And, and not just in, um, in the people that are currently sitting here, but specifically in those that are, are yet to come. Or God's going to call back again to be here. Because we know for a fact, and, and a fact, that God did not call us to leave South Africa and leave missions overseas and an incredibly fruitful ministry to come back and, and just enjoy the American dream with the white picket fence. Though it's cool, the, the house we're actually writing does have a white picket fence, which <laughs> is, is, is great for meeting my stereotypes of America. Um, and uh, but it, it wasn't for that that we're here. We're here because we're missionaries. We're here because we love Jesus and we want to see people come to know him. And, and, and we're convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that, 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 that God has us here in this time for this reason. And there's been a lot of people that have called us crazy for coming to Seattle at this time. I heard a lot as we were looking at other jobs, like, why would you consider Seattle in this climate of what's going on? And, and I know there's a lot of people, and we have family, that have been saying, no, we're, we're getting out of here right now because Seattle isn't what it used to be. We don't recognize what we're seeing. We don't want our kids raised up here. We, we don't know how to engage in the community. And, and a lot of people are heading out for all sorts of reasons. But those are some of the reasons we're actually coming here right now. Uh, as we were looking at coming to the States, I had three choices of places that I wanted to be. My top three might not be yours, but my top three were San Francisco, Portland, and Seattle. Those are the places I wanted to land. And, and the reason for that, maybe some of you can guess it, was because as I look at the polls and I read the stuff that's out there, I, I read a lot, those are the ones that reach the top of every list of the least church places in America, the most unbelievers, and the one stat that's constantly rising is the most nuns. And again, not ladies with wearing habits, but nuns being those that used to mark Christianity as their religious affiliation, but now on the polls, they mark no religious affiliation. So people that have walked away from the church, and Seattle kept hitting the list of at the top of every one of those lists. And I'm like, that's going to be home. That's what God has called us to, is to reach out to the nuns. Because again, I'm convinced that no one walks away from Jesus when they actually know him. No one walks away from knowing Jesus. People walk away from a church, and not, not just a building, but people who don't do a very good job of reflecting his love and beauty to the world. 
And, and those that do walk away, like Judas, or like the crowds that walked away from Jesus, they didn't walk away from knowing Jesus. They walked away because they came to Jesus expecting something very specific. And when he couldn't give them what they wanted, they got disillusioned and left, but they never got a chance to get to know him. I'm also completely convinced that there's no such thing as unbelievers. But there's people who do know Jesus and those who don't yet know Jesus, and those I prefer to call pre-believers, right? They're in the pipeline, right, and of people that don't yet know him, and those are the ones that we're focused on reaching. And so we are so, so happy to be here at this time, at this place, in this climate of this crit. And then people say, what do you feel about coming to America right now? And I'm like, it's awesome. Right? Because Jesus' message is true. It's real. This isn't a time for the church to back down. It's not a time for us to, to step back and just get into our bunker mentalities and wait for things to happen. We're here for this time and this place. And, I, and I'm so excited to join in. And we, we're so excited to join in with this incredible rich heritage that Northview has. To, to, to be part of this next season of what God wants to do in Bothell and Mill Creek and, and beyond as we see people just, just people not just coming to know Jesus, but those who used to know him coming back again. And we see people who do know him continue to flourish in what God has. And so, I mean, the thing I'm most passionate about in all, and of all the things I'm passionate about, I, don't, I'm, I am a little passionate sometimes, but <laughs> uh, of, of all the things that I'm passionate about, right at the top of the list, is, is, is going to be just seeing people not just come to Jesus, not just fall in love with Jesus, but to see them flourish, to see them, their lives align beautifully more and more to the life of Christ in living and loving like him. And that it doesn't stop there. Here's the key thing that's just central to me. And in the next few years, this will be something I'm sharing a thousand times over and over again, but that it doesn't stop there. But that from that point, what it does, it moves the overflow of what Christ is doing in us becomes the reality of what he's doing externally to us in the lives of the people around us. And the way we live and love our neighbors, one another, and the community around us. And that's what I'm most passionate about. And I know that's what this community is, in, is, is about. And we are so excited to be part of that and be part of this journey that God has for us. And, 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 and can't wait to see what God has in store next. So, amen. We're happy to be home. Amen. Wish he could get excited about something. <laughs> the and both of them joining what we already have is going to be really exciting. So I think the, the next year is going to be amazing. Hang on. Here we go. Let's pray. Would you stand? You've been sitting a long time. Let's stand together. Lord, thank you for them sharing their story. I know that's not all the details of it, but it's a big chunk of it. And it allows us, both here and watching this morning online, it allows us to see into the window of their hearts and what you have done and why you lined this up. And, Lord, there was a sense from a long time ago, and I, I remember calling James up and saying, James, you won't believe this. The loan got paid off a year and a half early. And the miracle of the timing of those things that we are so grateful this morning of what could be. We have prayed for a long time, Lord, for revival in the Mill Creek area, and we Again, think this might be the time, and we ask for your favor in that. Pray your favor over James and Sarah. Grant them great breath. Land them well. And, Lord, we seek for what you'll do in the next couple of years. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.